Good morning once again, and thank you for being with us. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 8, if you'd like to go ahead and turn in your Bibles. I do want to remind you, we have a uh, team of about 18 folks uh, that, I believe my number's right, that are on their way to Cleveland, Tennessee. I mentioned that already. You pray for them this week as they go and uh, work to meet some physical needs and prayerfully share the gospel with folks that they will encounter as they are there this week. Acts chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1, which is an overlap of where we were last week. We also read that last week. All right, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Stand with me in honor of God's word, please. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem... And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Let's pray together. Father God, once more we come to you this morning praying for you to come to us. We pray for your spirit to move among us. We pray, Lord God, that in this day we might bring you glory and honor through the proclamation of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would change us. That an encounter with your word would leave us doing more, Father, than sitting an encounter with your word would challenge and change us that, Father God, as a result of this, we might look more like the first century church. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ who rose from the grave and overcame death, hell, and sin. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Here we see the spreading church of Acts. And I ask you this question, how does the gospel spread? Now we're here on Father's Day and I, I thought about the way that some things spread. I thought about the way that dad jokes spread, right? They spread through groans, don't they? Ugh. What's really funny is, you know, we get made fun of as fathers for these jokes that are supposedly so bad, but our kids do what? They repeat them over and over and over again. You know why, dads? Because we are hilarious. Okay? We are. But things get spread in a variety of different ways. Um, we, we spread things on the internet. We spread germs. Sometimes we spread wealth. We spread love. We spread encouragement. But how is it that the gospel spreads especially how is it that the gospel can spread as it did in the first century church spread rapidly like a wild fire there are three things i want us to see this morning related to the spread of the gospel the first thing we see this morning is that god works all things together for good 
God works all things together for good. we got a number of people that are away today. Some of them are visiting fathers. Some of them are on vacation. The Bible says that the the believers left Jerusalem, and as a result of that leaving of Jerusalem, the gospel began to spread. But I want you to keep in mind, it's not like these folks left on a vacation. It's it's not as though they just sat around and said, man, it's it's uncomfortable, I'm tired of being in Jerusalem, I'm going to head down to the beach and try and have a good time. Stephen was stoned, and they got the message that they were no longer welcome there. Stephen was stoned, and these people recognized that it was no longer safe for them and their families to be in Jerusalem. We would probably call these people refugees today, or something similar. They were seeking a safe place where they could practice their religion. They were fleeing persecution because they were afraid for their lives. Folks, we are so blessed that we don't know what it's like to flee persecution as followers of Jesus and run for our lives. But this is what was happening. Things for these people were really bad. Not just a little bad. They were really, really bad. Imagine your life Your home, your family is in Jerusalem. You see your friend get murdered and you recognize that not only do I need to leave, I need to leave everything and get gone. That's what happened right here. They left everything and they got gone. Bad things happened to them. Bad things happen in your life sometimes, don't they? Folks, This should serve as a strong reminder to us that giving our lives to Jesus does not mean that automatically and immediately all bad things are going to stop happening in our lives. As a matter of fact, it doesn't mean that all all bad things will ever stop happening in your life. Listen, I want to give you warning. If you give your life to Christ or if you get serious about pursuing Christ, chances are something's going to go pretty wrong pretty quickly. Chances are something is going to be bad very rapidly in your life. We call it spiritual warfare. The devil does not want to see you loving Jesus. Bad things happen. Now listen, bad things are going to happen in your life as well. But do you know that even in the midst of those bad things that God can still do good things and bring good out of those bad things? Do you know that? That's what happened right here in Jerusalem. A terrible thing happened, a terrible tragedy. But even in the midst of that, God was able to make some good things happen. Matter of fact, some incredible things happen. Now, hold on. I want to do a timeout right here. I want to give you guys some advice. If, if, I, if I'm allowed, and this could be spiritual abuse, so if it is, forgive me. I want to give you a commandment here. Right? You are never to go to a funeral and look at somebody and say, God's going to do good things through this. Don't ever do that. When we say that God can bring good out of bad, this doesn't mean that God's looking around going, I'm going to do all these bad things and then better things are going to happen. No, it doesn't mean that when a bad thing happens, we go, oh, well, let's look because something better is on the horizon. What this means is that God can even take the sinful, evil actions of humanity. God can take even the terrible tragedies that come about as a result of a distorted nature. And then in the midst of those horrible things, the light of God can shine. 
the light of God can shine, that God can do good things in the middle of really, really terrible things. That's what happens right here in Stephen's scenario. It's not to say that God works all things together for good and and in so doing to minimize the impact of evil, suffering, and pain in the world. Stephen's death was a bad thing. It was a hard thing. It was an evil thing. But God can even take the evil of other people and turn it around on their head. If God can turn death into life, He can use your struggles and hardships for His glory and for the good of others. If God can turn death into life, He can use your struggles and hardships for His glory and for the good of others. Don't miss that. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28 that God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Do you know that works all things together for good doesn't even mean that you'll always see the good that comes about as a result of it? Do you know that? Sometimes the good will, co- will occur in eternity. Sometimes the good is the salvation of a soul that we won't even know about until we walk into God's kingdom, fully and finally realize upon our death. Watch this. The good that came about as a result of Stephen's demise was not a good that even Stephen was able to observe with his own eyes. Stephen accomplished more in his death than he did in his life. Folks, never miss the power of a faithful life. Who knows how many you might impact by being faithful to Christ to the very end. God can use, excuse me, God works all things together for good. God can use bad things to accomplish His good purposes. How does the gospel spread? Sometimes the gospel spreads in ways that we don't anticipate. Because God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. Sometimes the gospel spreads in ways that we don't anticipate because God takes a really terrible situation and He breaks in in the middle of it and something completely different takes place. Sometimes God uses these things because it's only when the world falls apart that we finally look up and say, Lord God, what is it that I can get from you today? How can you help me today? Last Sunday I said that we don't ever know how, good, how much we need Jesus until Jesus is all we've got. Folks, it's sometimes in the middle of those really bad things that Jesus is all that's left. And it's because Jesus is all we have left that we find ourselves leaning on Him, turning to Him, and being changed and challenged. God works all things together for good. All things. So even when we find ourselves living in the midst of very difficult and hard days, we have a confidence that God is still at work even in those hard things. The second thing we see this morning is the gospel is not viral. Some of y'all look really tired. Has Father's Day been hard on y'all? Man, we should have done this a little different. I should have had y'all stand up in the middle of the sermon to encourage one another. All right, everybody get the yawn out. Good, all right. The gospel is not viral. Now, we've learned a lot about viruses. How many of y'all became uh, an experienced virologist over the last two years? Raise your hand. All of us know more than everybody else. You do, right? Every one of y'all knows what's really going on. Me too, okay? We all know. We know exactly how all these things are going to happen. We've become really, really good at it. Here's what we know, though. If you get close enough to somebody with a virus, there's a strong chance you're going to get it. 
You get close to somebody with a norovirus, you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be hugging porcelain at some point in the very near future. Norovirus, that's a stomach bug, okay? The whole GI thing. Some of y'all shaking your head. Don't give me that. Y'all shaking your head because y'all don't believe in the evil that comes about as a result of those things, okay? Y'all have not experienced vacation Bible school properly. Um, <laughs> you get close to somebody with these things, they jump on you. You can't shake them. You get close to somebody with a cold, you can get a cold. Viruses are like that. They just kind of happen. You get in close proximity and boom, next thing you know, you got a runny nose or you got an earache. The gospel doesn't spread that way. See, we like to say we want the gospel to be viral, but the gospel is not viral. And this is why. The gospel doesn't spread by accident. Evangelism requires proclamation. Evangelism requires proclamation. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you're going to see somebody come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to tell them about Jesus. You're going to have to open your mouth and allow the words of the gospel to fall out. They're not going to catch Jesus by getting too close to you. Your N95 will not protect you from Jesus, and it won't protect anybody from getting Jesus from you. But watch this. You can keep your mouth shut and protect the whole world from experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. We have to preach, teach, talk, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me in Acts chapter... Um, ah, come on now. I'm going to get there. Verse 4. Chapter 8, verse 4. And of course, I turned the page the wrong way. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, it's important to go back to, to, to the, the verses above that. So we've got, hey, can I just give you this? This one's free. This one jumped out at me today. You can take this. Just add it as an addendum. I love this, this dichotomy that we get drawn in Acts chapter 8, verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Devout Godly, good men buried their friend and then they wept over him. Okay? Verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church. There's a great distinction made here between devout men, godly men, committed men, and Saul. Man, God is going to wreck his life in just a little while. God is going to wreck Saul's life. And he's going to go from being a ravager of the church to a, to a devout disciple of Jesus. All right. Anyway, so we've got this. But in verse 1, the Bible says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions in Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Remember that. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In those... I love that sound. In those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that is the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of wisdom and uh, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who will appoint this duty. All right? So go back. What were the 12 apostles doing? They were preaching. They were the preachers in the church. Then the Bible says in chapter 8, verse 1, On that day, everybody left except the apostles. 
They hung out. They stayed. They said, you're not running us off. We're going to be right here. And yet, we find ourselves in verse 4. Now, those who scattered went about preaching the word. If the preachers were left in Jerusalem, then who in the world was doing all the preaching as they left Jerusalem? Everybody except the preachers. Do you understand that? The church spread, the gospel spread, not because the preachers got serious about getting out in there and knocking on doors and doing all that stuff. The gospel spread because the people who had been preached to got serious about doing the same kind of preaching that they had heard happening. I know that sounds kind of redneck way of working this out, so let me try and make this a little bit more sophisticated. When the people of God got serious about the things of God, they proclaimed the message of God to people who needed to hear and experience salvation from God. That's what took place. Church, listen to me. I am your pastor, and it is one of my greatest privileges in all the world. I love to preach more than I love to eat, and I like to eat a lot. I love to preach. But God's called you to carry the Great Commission. And if the gospel is going to spread rapidly, it's not going to be a virus that runs throughout our community because y'all got close enough to people and they caught Jesus. If the gospel is going to spread rapidly, it's going to be because y'all scatter from this place and allow the words of Jesus to sort of fall out of your mouth and impact the world around you. When's the last time you accidentally talked about Jesus? Like it just kind of welled up inside of you and fell out. When's the last time that your encounters with Christ or such an important part of your life that you just talked about it. When it was just one of your stories. How many of y'all have those stories that you tell over and over and over again? It's Father's Day, so I'm tempted to tell one of mine just for my kids' sake, but I won't do it. How many of you find that the story of Jesus is one that you just tell over and over and over again? That you just don't get tired of it. That you start it and you see your kids' eyes roll on the back of their head because like, oh great, here it comes again. And you know, that's fine, because I'm going to tell it again, because I don't think this person's heard it. I had a, 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 a friend who was telling me their parents had moved, and uh, after their parents moved, they went to visit them, and they were kind of out in the neighborhood for a walk, um, and uh, they introduced themselves as, as, uh, as, as you know, so-and-so's kids, and they was like, oh. Well, we're excited to have them because the neighbors that live beside them are just, their words, just Jesus freaks. I mean, that's all they talk about is Jesus all the time. And this friend, parents, happened to be committed evangelists of Jesus. And she said, and I just walked off and thought, if you think that's bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Folks, when, when's the last time that you just, it just was such a consuming part of who you were. That you were just constantly looking for ways to work in the gospel, to pray for somebody, to minister to somebody, to love on somebody. It's not my job. I don't say that to absolve myself of the responsibility. I say that to remind you, you have a commission. It's a great commission, and it belongs to all of us. 
And the early church spread so rapidly. Not only because there were great preachers that Jesus had discipled and raised up. But because those people that the disciples had preached to and raised up got really serious about speaking the gospel in all the places where they went. Folks, that's your opportunity. It's your privilege. It's your responsibility. Get busy in all the places where you go. Spread the gospel. Well, what is this? The gospel is simple but necessary. The gospel is, is, is not your testimony. That's a good thing. Okay? The gospel is not I go to church. The gospel is simple. Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the grave. The gospel is simple. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And we deserve death, hell, sin, or death, hell, and punishment because of our sin. But Jesus died so that we might escape the punishment that we deserve. What is it that people must do? Repent of their sin. Accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's it. Do you know that it's not complicated? If we would turn from our sin and ourselves, and we would turn toward Christ, He will save you. Today, right now, thief on the cross. Lord, don't forget me. Lord, when you come into your kingdom, don't forget me. Jesus says, boom, that's all it took. I got you. That was it. Do you understand? That was all. That's how powerful this gospel is. We're going to see what it's going to do to the Apostle Paul in just a couple weeks. As he is confronted on the road to Damascus. The gospel is not viral. It spreads, but not without effort and intentionality. There's a requirement that we as followers of Jesus proclaim this gospel. Not confrontationally, not angry, but that we extend the offer and the opportunity for people who are just like me and you, lost and in need of a Savior, to experience life in Jesus Christ. So what is it? What do we do? How does this gospel spread? We remember that God works all things together for good, which means that in any situation of life, there's the opportunity for the gospel to work. We remember that the gospel is not viral. It requires our effort. And third this morning, I want you to remember that the gospel is more powerful than you realize. Read with me again in Acts chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did... For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who, were, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in the city. When the gospel was preached, things started happening. Big things, powerful things. People were healed. Unclean spirits came out. The lame walked, and there was much joy. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 delivered this prophecy the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone the gospel is powerful powerful 
Powerful enough to bring the dead to life. To make the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see. To cast out evil spirits. It's powerful. I don't know that any of us really doubt that. We just haven't ever seen it for the most part. We forget the power of the gospel. But do you know there is one thing that we see the gospel do over and over and over again that we do not give glory for. And that is that we see the gospel bring joy. We see the gospel bring joy. One of the most powerful aspects of the gospel is its ability to bring joy. When the angels appeared in the heavens to the shepherds, they announced good news of great joy, which would be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The reason we don't appreciate joy is because we grew up in the Bible Belt. And for the most part, we don't understand the deep darkness that exists for people that, that live completely, 100%, totally separated from the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't understand the deep darkness that people who live in paganism grasp and understand. We don't know the fear that they live with over and over and over again. Angela and I were in Alaska a few weeks ago. So all kind of beautiful things. But one of the things that we did, we, we visited the Native American Museum while we were there. And, uh, um, and while we were there, we were able to see the way that they live, these, these, uh, all the, the different kind of housing structures they would have lived in, um, and, and all, all sorts of different things. While we were there, uh, but while we were there, they they um, they had some uh, some folks doing um, traditional Native American dances. Uh, we we saw totem poles and some of their traditional religious experiences. Um, do you know what gets lost? We live in a world right now where Christians are accused of of, of sort of colonizing and and all these horrible things uh, against um, Native peoples because Christians go in and they carry with them the gospel. The hope of Jesus. And, and people can look back 200 year late, years later and they say, they robbed these people of their ancient opportunities and their ancient religions and their ancient customs. What, what gets missed in this is that Christians often showed up into cultures that lived in fear. That were dominated by evil spirits that oppressed them. We see dances and religious practices and we forget that these things existed as an effort to appease false gods. As an effort to escape the fear that they had of the spirit world. And when Christian missionaries showed up and they brought the gospel, they promised them deliverance, freedom. And these people were able to actually Honestly, completely experience joy. Upon them, the light of the gospel shone brightly. We underestimate the incredible power of the gospel to drive darkness and sin out of lives and out of hearts and to replace that darkness and sin with light and joy and love and salvation and hope. Hope. This is this powerful gospel. Jesus brings joy because he delivers us from the domain of darkness and sets us into the kingdom of the beloved Son. The gospel is more powerful than you realize. It can bring the dead to life, sight to blind, hearing to the deaf. It can bring joy to the fearful and the depressed.
We don't appreciate the power of light until we've experienced darkness, right? And, and, and if you've ever been in the dark looking for a light and found it, you know the joy that that light can bring. You, you know the joy. If you can remember being a child afraid of the dark, you know the sense of comfort that a night light can bring. If you've been a parent for a child that was afraid of the dark, you know the sense of comfort you can bring just with your presence. The gospel is more powerful than you realize. Than we often realize because we get inoculated. When I say inoculated, what does that mean? I mean, we hear it, we see it so often that we forget. We forget what it's like. I, um, I remember, um, now this is what's wild. Anybody born after 2007, so that's like, you know, our 15-year-olds, have no idea what life without one of these things is like, okay? Um, and I guess the first BlackBerry probably came in about 2003 or something like that. So, but the smartphone really was revolutionized with the arrival of the iPhone. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know, like, like today we, we completely take all of this for granted. Everything. It's just normal, everyday life. I, I don't know if you can remember what it was like the first time that you saw a touch screen, touch screen smartphone. Y- y'all, we were just like, I can't believe the thing works. So what, what does it do? And, and the first one didn't do a whole lot, remember? You could talk to people on it. You could send a few emails. You could store like 17 songs before you ran out of memory. Okay. You could take really trashy photographs after a little while. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot. But the first ones we saw, it was just, I can't believe that's possible. I don't know who keeps texting me while I'm preaching, but y'all need to stop. Look at all those notifications. It's ridiculous. <laughs> if that's any one of y'all, I am ashamed. I'm not going to read them. Um, but think about the, the things that you saw for the first time. And how it just blew your mind. Can't believe it. We get so used to the gospel that it stops being amazing anymore. We see people delivered. We see families put back together. We see people rescued. And it becomes becomes just another thing. Right? I mean, look, I'm so excited about all the people who are being changed here at Malvern Hill right now. But sometimes if we're not careful, we don't even get excited about baptism anymore because they're just happening over and over and over again. I mean, y'all, I'm not lying. We got like six people in the queue. Just, we just got to line it up so we can get families here, right? It's, it's not about, are they ready? They're ready to be baptized, but a grandparent or an aunt can't be here, so we got to get it all worked out. We don't shoot fireworks off at baptisms anymore. It's like, oh, yeah, there's another one. Good. It's great. And we forget. Forget the power The incredible power of the gospel. The Bible says that as the apostles went preaching, people were saved, demons were cast out, lives were changed. Isn't that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. Remember, the apostles were still in Jerusalem. Y'all were the ones doing it. (coughs) Regular folks. Fishermen. 
Maybe tax collectors. Tent makers. Blue collar. White collar. Y'all were the ones doing it. And it was powerful. Was it powerful because Philip was such an incredible orator? It was powerful because Philip had the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was powerful because the gospel is stronger than you realize. How do we conclude all this this morning? How does the gospel spread? Watch this. The gospel spreads as you obey Christ in the normal course of your everyday life. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't? We just had a few guys get back from Scotland, uh, a guy get back from Latvia. Does that mean that we shouldn't go across the ocean to carry the gospel? Does that mean we shouldn't drive to Cleveland, Tennessee to carry the gospel? No, of course not. Let's go. But folks, listen to me. If you spend three weeks on mission this year, you're still going to spend 49 weeks right here this year. If the gospel is going to spread rapidly, it's going to happen because you are carrying the gospel with you in the normal course of your everyday life. Watch this. You can actually do this. See, I, I'm afraid that sometimes we, 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 you, you walk away from a sermon like this and you're like, man, he beat me up and told me I need to go and share the gospel and I don't know how. Listen to me. You can do this. It's not hard. It's just a little bit scary. Any of y'all afraid of heights? Any of y'all afraid to admit you're afraid of heights? You know the funny thing about being afraid of heights? It's, a, it's an absolute ludicrous thing to be afraid of, right? I mean, I mean, it really is. I mean, I've got some things I'm afraid of that don't make any sense. But, but heights, that's one of those things. It's like, hey, I'm up on a high place and now I'm afraid. Like, I could be in a high place completely enclosed in glass and now I am suddenly uncomfortable. I'm not going to fall. I'm not actually in danger, but I am afraid. Some of y'all feel that way about, about spiders. I ain't going to lie. I feel that way about snakes. I kill them all. Everyone. They're like, that's a good one. No, it's not. No, it's not. Those, those eat the rats. I say, I'll, I'll kill the rats too. That snake has got to go. And all, those of y'all that like them, guess what? Satan is a serpent. Be careful. Be careful. All right? So don't come at me. It's not an irrational fear. It makes perfect sense. It's just your fear of heights that's irrational. That's right. We're afraid. And I'm, I'm not picking on you for being afraid. I just want, let's, let's call it for what it is. You're afraid. You're afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing. You're, you're afraid that somebody's going to ask a hard question. Honestly, most of the time, we're just afraid that we're going to offend somebody. We're afraid we're going to make it awkward. Folks, I want you to know you can do it. You can do it. You can share the gospel. The world needs you to do it. We're a little down this morning, so there's probably only like 300 of y'all here, including children. I don't know if y'all know this. There's one of me, 300 of y'all. Let's just figure out 
If each one of y'all share the gospel with three people this month, that's 900. I don't have time physically to share the gospel with 900 people this month. You see that? But y'all can. You can do it. You don't need to be afraid. Because the gospel is powerful. You say, I'm not good at it. You don't, it doesn't matter. It's not dependent upon you. Do you understand? Because the gospel is powerful. Well, I don't know what to say. Guess what? We'll give you a track. It'll tell you what to say. We did some, some, some evangelism training here in the sermon just a few weeks ago. If you'll just look at somebody and start with this, God loves you right where you are. And Jesus died to save you from your sin. And yes, you've messed up. I've messed up. We've all sinned. And as a result of that sin, it separated us from God. But Jesus Christ died to forgive you for your sin. And if you would turn from your sin today and turn to Jesus, you can be saved. You can say that. Folks, you can say that. You can do it. We'll give you a track that will walk you through it. It will give you the step-by-step instructions. You can do it. I want you to know that today. You can do it. So the gospel spreads as you go with it, as you proclaim it in your homes and your places of work. So here's where the rubber meets the road today. And here's our challenge or invitation. The first one is simply for this. I've, I've walked through the gospel over and over. I've mentioned the gospel multiple times today. But some of you some of you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And today we want to extend you that opportunity. This morning, when we stand up to sing in just a few minutes, I'm going to stand right there. Okay, And if you're nervous about coming forward, here's what I want you to know. There won't be a test when you get up there. There won't be a test. Okay, Right? I, I, we, we want to help you to know Jesus. I'll probably find somebody to talk with you and walk you through that process. Okay, We would love to introduce you to Jesus today. The second thing this morning is today's Father's Day. So, dads, we're going to just lay out a challenge for you. See, I told you just a minute ago that the gospel spreads as you obey Christ in the normal course of your everyday life. The most effective way that the gospel spreads is when fathers lead their families to embrace Christ. The most effective way that the gospel spreads is when fathers lead their families to embrace Christ. So dads, here's your challenge. Will you commit to leading your family toward Christ? Are we just going to let the rubber meet the road here today? Just put it out there. Will you commit to leading your family toward Christ? Let's be specific here because these things require specificity. Will you commit to leading your family into the church? Because whether you like it or not, the church is the vehicle that Jesus created for the spread of his gospel. Men, let me warn you. If you're trying to lead your family toward Jesus apart from the church, your children will turn from Jesus. You're going to come to me when they're 18 and go, I don't understand. And I'm going to have to tell you the truth. You didn't lead them into the church. And they found no value there. If you still have children at home, men, will you lead them into the church? If you have grown children, will you commit to doing all you can to leading them into the church? And then finally, will you commit to praying for your family?
Man, when's the last time you prayed for and with your family? I mean like bone-crushing prayer. That kind of prayer that dug into the deep, dark things in your own life, and the deep, dark fears you have for your family, for your wife, for your children. We are blessed to be a church with a lot of men who lead well. Like really lead well. Men lead our life groups. Men lead in children's ministry, which is unheard of. Men lead in vacation Bible school and our student ministry. Men lead on mission. We're so blessed. But men, will you commit to praying for your family? This morning during our invitation, this altar will be open. Some of you would probably benefit by coming and praying for your family. Coming and showing that commitment that you have. Some of you need to make a commitment of faith in Jesus Christ. There's a dad here today for whom the first step of leadership you need to make, spiritual leadership in your home, is for you to step out and to come forward. And to say, I have not followed Christ with my life, and I've not led my family toward Jesus, but beginning today, I'm turning from my sin, and I'm turning to Lord Jesus Christ. Philip was not a pastor. He was a dude, just like some of you. And yet God used him to do incredible things as he was obedient to the Great Commission. Men, it's time to step up. Stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would turn the hearts of fathers toward their children and the hearts of children toward their fathers. That you'd turn all of our gaze toward you. God, there were devout men who buried Stephen and wept over him. May our church be defined by devout men who lead their families and their communities and their church in surrender to the Holy Spirit of God in commitment to the truth of His Word in obedience to the Great Commission. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Sing with us this morning. And men, commit to your families. Let's sing.